Welcome into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. I am your host, John Neighbors. I am also the host of Out of Bounds, which you can catch every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4 on 103.7 The Buzz, 1037thebuzz.com. Folks, I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I know I sure did. Enjoyed some late, late time uh, doing some social distancing. Uh, groups less than 10. Pretty sure we did that on a boat. Anyways, it was great. I enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed the NFL draft, enjoyed the last dance, enjoyed everything going along with the world of sports, and that's kind of where I wanted to start here before I uh, play the interview that we had with Travis Swanson, former Razorback great, which is a fantastic interview, and I can't wait to share it with all of you, but uh, one of the things that you know stood out to me in the NFL draft, since this is particularly talking about the Razorbacks, is the fact that Sosa Aguin, being a third-round pick, also, Cameron Curl also being a draft pick. That's two Razorbacks. That was the only ones taken. And as sarcastic as some of you may find this, I really don't mean it to be sarcastic. But the fact that Arkansas had two NFL draft picks is pretty incredible. I mean, because they had a few draft picks last year, too, and this year. So you're talking about in back-to-back 2-10 and ten seasons, also helped out by getting some NFL draft picks, which kind of stands out to me for one of two reasons. One, it stands out to me because it shows you that there was actually a little bit of talent on the team, maybe not enough to overcome some of the hurdles that Arkansas had, but still some talent. And two, it also shows you that sometimes athletes can't get showcased, can't get the right attention paid to them. In college sports, they have to rely on the potential that they may have getting into the NFL. And I'm referring to somebody like Sosa Aguim. Poor Sosa Aguim had to deal with a lot when he was at Arkansas. I mean, you think about his first year was in 2016. Uh, It was probably his best year as far as success on the field as a team. They ended up going eight, I was, I guess, seven and six that year. So, you know, nothing to sneeze at. But still, they ended it terribly. Then the next year they go four and eight. Brett Bielma gets fired. The next year they go two and ten. And the next year they go two and ten. So like Sosa Game's career was uh, pretty handcuffed by the lack of success on the field, which is really sad. But it shows you that despite all of that, he has still found a way to get into the NFL. And I think that this goes into play of, you know, so many of us that like to harp on the facts, so it's like, well, these coaches and these teams you know, they're really the ones that can get you into the NFL or into the NBA or whatnot. Yeah, I think there's an element to that. But at the same time, if you're good, you're good. If you're good enough to get into the NFL, you're going to get into the NFL. And I don't think one coach in one year can automatically make you go from being not drafted to drafted in the first round based solely on their coaching. And I think it's development that's very important. But, you know, to, to chalk it up to just say, well, you know, it just goes to show you that, you know, you got to go to Bama if you want to get drafted or go to Clemson. You know, I'm certainly that it helps. It, it does. And it helps when you have the on-field success and you get showcased a little more. But again, at the end of the day, if you're good enough, you're good enough. And that's the bottom line. I think that guys like McTelvin Aguim, Sosa Aguim, I think he'll do really well in the NFL. I think with the proper coaching that he'll get in the NFL, it'll be light years ahead of what he's gotten over the past few years at Arkansas. Same with Cameron Curl. And who knows, maybe some of these guys that are going to sign free agent deals are going to end up doing okay for themselves as it is, too. Maybe they'll get the right coaching, the right thing in place, which I think is very important and something that needs to be showcased and lifted up a little more. But either way, I'm happy for these guys. I think that they'll do pretty well. I think it'll be a good one for both Denver and uh, the Redskins and getting those guys 
And I know Razorback fans are going to be rooting them on. Let's hope that this is the least amount of players that will get drafted out of Arkansas. Let's hope that they'll continue on, get better and better, because once they do, you know that the NFL draft's going to be calling. That means your team is pretty dadgum good. So let's hope that continues on and gets better. You are locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. We are very pleased to welcome in former Razorback great on the Weston Cigars Hotline, Travis Swanson, who played for the Razorbacks at center, also played in the NFL. And Travis, really appreciate you joining us, man. How, uh, what have you been doing since uh, all this coronavirus has been going on? I know it's been crazy times for everybody, but how have you been keeping yourself occupied? Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me on. And, you know, we, uh, my wife and I have been joking here recently that, you know, Nothing's really changed for us. We we have a daughter who's about 15 months old, so we've had about 15 months of training for a quarantine-type lifestyle. <laughs> so really, uh, really nothing's changed for us. Now we're kind of getting to that point where we need to uh, get a little more creative with uh, keeping her entertained and stuff. But other than that, no, we're we're doing good. We're we're blessed, and we've been uh, we're just kind of doing what we can to to, to help this thing pass in, in any way that we can. So to go along with that, Travis, uh, what part of the country are you living in these days? I know you're from Texas and spent some time here in Arkansas, and then your NFL journey took you to uh, the Lions to start with. So where are you living these days? Yeah, we're back in northwest Arkansas. We're, uh, we're in uh, Fayetteville right now. We're building a, building a house here in uh, the northwest part of the state. That'll be done here pretty soon. So, no, we're here for, for good. And my parents moved up here years ago, about three or four years ago. So my family's up here. and my wife's family's down in the Little Rock area, so we're all we're here, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna be here for for the long haul, which is pretty strange for us to to talk about because given what I used to do, you know, long term boots and that sense of security isn't isn't something that we've been used to. So it's uh, it's kind of hard for us to kind of wrap our heads around that right now. Yeah, I can only imagine. And, and actually, I wanted to start there with uh, asking about your time at Arkansas because I know it was a pretty crazy time while you were there. But I'll start with this. Uh, you got to play under Sam Pittman when he was your offensive line coach just for the one year uh, that uh, you were under Brett Bielma in your final year of college. And I think that's what a lot of Razorback fans are always curious about as far as, you know, what do former players think of the coach? Obviously, a little different from being offensive line coach to head coach, but just talk, talk to us about what you thought about the hiring of Sam Pittman and the experience you had with him in your one year under him as an offensive lineman. Yeah, I thought it was perfect. You know, it was something that, uh, even when whenever I saw kind of the headlines that Coach Morris had been fired, um, you know, I, I immediately uh, was like, I mean, Sam, Coach Pittman's a man for the job just because he, from the standpoint of what I thought of, what does Arkansas need recruiting, not only recruiting, but development of those recruits was the biggest thing. You know, they have every resource up here imaginable uh, that's kind of just presented to them. They didn't need new fields or anything of that nature. So I said, you know, if anyone can do this, it's him. And I know that everyone's going to be like, well, he hasn't had head coaching experience before this, that, and the other, which, you know, the common person is going to think that. But given what I know about him and how I know that he goes about his business in this game, I know that that is going to translate smoothly to not only an offensive line room, but out to a team setting now. Uh, And I'm just, I'm excited for the season, whenever it gets back up and going, and once this storm that everyone kind of everyone's going through right now kind of passes, um, I think I think people will be very happy with the hire that they made. 
Travis, we know that offensive linemen are prideful and you're a cohesive group. Now, we always talked about and even nationally talked about you guys being the biggest offensive line in the country. Was that something that you guys talked about and took pride in? And did that spill over into when you got into the NFL where there's still talks about, man, you guys had the biggest offensive line? Yeah, no, definitely in the NFL, people, once I told them where I came from, and they're like, well, that, that was typically one of the first things that they said, that we were very, very big. Uh, I think a lot of that, in terms of us, when I was here talking about that, you know, I don't, it wasn't on the forefront of our discussions. It was more of a, we just went about our business, and we knew, and really, I, I tried to hold everyone in that room accountable, especially my last year of, hey, we can do something special here, and we have, you know, this group of coaches that we have with Pittman and Ben Herbert and stuff, we need to utilize this because this is kind of a perfect storm for everyone. You know, to have that kind of O-line coach and that kind of strength coach was just, it was unbelievable. It did me wonders. So I don't necessarily, we weren't looking to be the biggest O-line in college football. It just kind of came to to be that way because we were so focused in with, in the weight room, in our nutrition, how we went about our business and practice that, you know, once you, once you put all the good and necessary things in your body and pair that up with a very strenuous but smart workout schedule, then the human body only naturally is just going to do what, what it did to all of us. and That's why we were so big. Well, I know that in your time at Arkansas, you got to experience a, a high of high, really, when you were on the team, of course, that uh, won 11 games, and that was a very memorable season for the Razorback fans. And really, they look upon that as being the last time that Arkansas was at that level of competitiveness almost 10 years ago. They're trying to get back to that. You got to experience that. You got to see how it was, because a lot of fans have maybe thought that uh, they'll never get back to that point. But if Arkansas is going to get back to the point to where they're competing in the SEC West, they are competing for even an SEC title, how are they going to do that? What is the key to doing that? Because Arkansas is not the easiest place to win at but it's been proven that they can win at it. Yeah, you know, I think that there's not necessarily one thing specifically that they're going to have to do. It's a culmination of a lot of different things, you know, and it's it's a mix between getting the right coaches in here, which I think that they've done a great job of doing. It's uh, You also have to add into the fact of what is your current roster right now, how does that fit into your scheme, and then is there a transition period between uh, a short-term scheme and a long-term scheme that ultimately depends on the recruiting that you do. I think a lot of it also ties into the fact of what do you do and how do you develop those recruits that you bring in? Just because I don't think a lot of people understand that they just focus on sort of what's on the paper and they're so enamored by these stars and what play, who came from where and that thing. I think the biggest part, the biggest part of that equation is more of what happens to them when they get on campus and who are the coaches that are developing them and how good are they at developing these players, which I know, from personal experience that coach Pittman is the best in the country at what he does. And that is developing players to be the best that they can be. Now I'm excited to see, like I said, how that transition in transitions into a total team aspect. Travis, what are some of the moments that stand out to you? Uh, You don't have to narrow it down to one, or if you do have one that stands out, above all others, but from your time at Arkansas, some of the moments that stand out to you? Oh, geez. I mean, yeah, there's a lot. Um, the first one that comes to mind would be 2010 down at uh, down in Little Rock. We were playing LSU, 
and we uh, I think we ran it uh, the first uh, the fourth quarter, and we had to run the clock out. And essentially, I think we first play ran like a ran it naked, and then from there on out ran like ten straight runs or something of that nature to go to the uh, to go to the Sugar Bowl, and that was extremely fun um, to be able to do that in that locker room atmosphere after that. And then going, I mean, 2011, down 17 points at halftime, A&M down at Dallas, and being able to go in and make the the adjustments that we did at halftime to come back just in that atmosphere and and win that game was amazing. Then the you know you had the the Cotton Bowl that year, uh, and then probably my last year, even though on paper wasn't you know the 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 greatest record in the world. You know that was the that was the most fun I had out of all my years was my final year just because of the coaches we had, the locker room that we had. Uh, it was just a great time. And I, and I knew obviously that, you know, this was it. This is my last ride in terms of college football. So I, I not that I took the other years for granted, um, but that last year uh, I'm, I'm always going to hold, you know, near and dear to my heart just because, it was my last year, and I had just such a good time with those guys. We'll continue our interview with Travis Swanson, former Razorback great, here in just a second. But first, this. You are locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. Well, you know, and it's funny because Arkansas as a team has struggled on the offensive line for the past few years now. In fact, they haven't really been the same since Sam Pittman left the first time of getting back uh, to having solid trench play. And people would even chalk it up to the reason of lacking of success the past few years is that they haven't been able to have that offensive line. What is it about, what is the keys to having a solid offensive line? Because, again, it's been done at Arkansas before. That's something they really need to focus on. You can have great quarterbacks. You can have great wide receivers. You can have great running backs. But without it starting up front with the trench play, it really doesn't matter. What's the key to making sure that you have a great offensive line to be able to push your offense? Yeah, you know, it's a lot of different things. Uh, chemistry would definitely be uh, number one chemistry and communication, which that is, and I know you that's, you hear that all the time with with offensive linemen talk about chemistry, but it really does. It takes a long, long time, you know, and I know uh, a lot of people have said kind of the things that you're saying in terms of, you know, trying to put blame on one group, and that's, I mean, that's, uh, I, I highly disagree. I think it was a whole team effort that, 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 I mean, it's the result of what has happened the past few years. And I think a lot of that ties back to really the, the leadership and the coaches. You know, you're, you know, what, are you, what are you allowing and what are you teaching? What is the accountability and the standard that you're holding not only your room to, but your entire team to? Uh, and, it's, and it's little things. I mean, things that people wouldn't even uh, think are a big deal that you, would, that you can see that would – pretty much paint a very clear and large picture for you in terms of of the outlook of the attention to detail that people have. So I think it's not necessarily just one phase or one aspect of the game or one position group. I think, you know, the past couple of years have been rough just because a lot of it for me was you, you start with the leadership. What does the leadership allow and what are they teaching? And, you know, I think that that's where that kind of trickled down. Uh, nothing against the old coaching staff. I was here, you know, I, I talked to them a handful of times, and they were, they were great guys and great people, um, but obviously that didn't work out. And I think, you know, given where the state of Arkansas football is now, uh, you, at least for me, I can I can sense that there's a little more buzz in the air, uh, at least with, with fans seem to 
seem as though they're getting excited about the season as opposed to uh, the past couple of years. And, Travis, uh, something that just happened last weekend, over the weekend, the NFL draft. How closely uh, do you still pay attention to maybe the Lions? Or I know um, we wanted to ask you about the Arkansas players specifically, but do you pay attention to certain teams in the NFL, and or do you just keep up with the guys when they go certain places? Yeah, you know, I uh, obviously keep up with all the Arkansas guys anywhere that they go uh, in terms of, you know, guys that are still in the NFL, I got a bunch of buddies still on the Lions, a bunch of buddies still on the Dolphins, and some guys that, that have kind of gone to other teams that were in those same locker rooms that I was in. So I keep up with them definitely. In terms of the draft, uh, the only thing I'm really paying attention to is kind of the Arkansas guys and uh, guys that I'm working with with right now and uh, outside of Arkansas, trying to see where they're where they're going and where they end, end up and uh, just because I know that I've, I've been in, in their shoes and I know what they're about to get into, and uh, some of you know all the guys I talk to, I try to I try to give them a heads up and warning as to what they're about to get into. But majority of it is you know you just got to experience it, and uh, you know all the guys that all the guys that got taken, uh, whether in the draft or undrafted, this past year, I'm, I'm excited and happy for them just because this is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I know that they'll. Uh, They'll try to seize that. What was that experience like, being drafted into the NFL and you know knowing that it's no longer going to be in college or you know any school you're actually going to play professionally up in Detroit? Just tell us kind of what that experience was like getting drafted in, in your first year as a rookie. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I uh, I remember I remember uh, so third round comes around and I, I was taking seventy six overall. And I remember it was kind of getting to the point in Iowa where you're just like, you know, you're anxious and stressing a little bit and you just have no idea what's going to happen. So I'm kind of hunched over this chair out back and my phone's on the table next to me. And I'm just thinking, you know, just just come on. Like at any point, just something happened. And I remember as soon as I thought that, thought that I, uh, my phone starts vibrating on the table and I look over and it's this 313 number. And I'm like, I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I don't know, Mich- I don't know anyone from Michigan. And then kind of looked away. <laughs> and then I finally clicked. I was like, Whoa! I, I need. Mean, I should probably answer that. <laughs> I, I remember picking it up and just, you know, that that conversation was just something that, yeah, uh, a lot of things obviously going through my head at that point. But I could just feel all the, all the, like this tension in my shoulders and stuff just kind of wash away for a moment. You know, you have the conversation with them, and you talk to everyone you need to talk to and get everything situated. But then there's this sense of, at least for me, of, okay, now this is, you know, this is what you've worked at for so long to get to. Now let's let's work even harder to stay in it. Because that's the thing. It takes so much work to get there, but it's so much harder to stay in it, which is the same thing that I try to tell guys is, you know, whatever you did to get here, double it. Because now you're in locker rooms with guys that aren't your age. You're you're in a locker room. Your locker mate next to you is someone who's 33 years old with five kids, and you're trying to take his job, and he's been in this a long time. So you need to ramp it up as much as you can. And that first year for me was I loved it. I went into I went into an O line room in Detroit that that had a lot of veterans and a lot of leadership and a lot of guys that that molded kind of my thought process and how I led for you know my five-year career and it was a huge blessing to, to be able to go to that room just because from stories I've heard uh, that that was not necessarily the case for 
a lot of the O-line rooms in the uh, in the NFL. So I was extremely fortunate to be able to end up there. Also, uh, we saw a difference with the draft and how it was uh, projected this year as far as going into everyone's home. Um, from your experience, did you have a big draft party with a bunch of friends around, or was it just you around your family? No, it was just me and me and some family. That's it, close family. And I didn't want anything. <laughs> I didn't want anything big by any means because I was, you know, it's so hard to predict what guys are going to go just because there's always there's always that one pick in the draft at some point that just completely comes out of nowhere and messes up everyone's board. So. You know, you, I mean, no one has any idea unless you're probably a top 15 pick where you're going to go. Um, so, and I was hearing anything from, from, you know, at one point first round up to like fifth round. So it was just, I, I was like, I had no idea. So I didn't want anything big at all. And that's just not how, not how I'm wired to begin with. So it was, uh, it was just a, geez, probably anywhere from 10 to 12 people total. All right, Travis, I want to ask you a, a kind of a, an odd question, but that's kind of fitting to the show because it can be odd at times. But uh, I actually uh, was able to catch up with uh, Nick Brewer, a former teammate of you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he yeah. came on the show. He, he was promoting his uh, good cause that he has up there with him and Grant Cook. And, you know, he told me a story, a really funny story that uh, against LSU in 2010, uh, that uh, an LSU player made a comment about how big his head was. And You're yeah. yeah, I mean, it was oh, pretty yeah. noticeable, and it was a great story. So I have a question for you. In your time at Arkansas, was there ever a funny story that happened, whether it was in the locker room, whether it was on the field, something you can actually say on the air, but was there a humorous time of something that happened to you uh, as a Razorback uh, during your time at Arkansas? Oh, jeez. I mean, just a handful of things. Now I'm trying to go through my head right now what I can say or can't say. <laughs> <laughs> um Golly, I remember Nick telling me about that. That was extremely funny. You know, the guy that we always, because especially you get in camp and stuff like that, you just, you know, middle of August, you're just so exhausted and stuff. So you always had to, you had to find ways to kind of break up that monotony of camp. And Austin Beck was always that guy for us. And he was, you know, came from small town Oklahoma over Tulsa area, and he was just new. He would just do a bunch of different things that were just holy. He used to do this thing with his stomach where he could just poke it out this ridiculous amount. And it was just, the guy didn't care what you thought about him. It was just so freaking funny. Um, and it was, I wish I still had videos of it that I could, that I could show you. Um, but he was that guy that would always just kind of break that mold for us. And whenever we thought that we were just going insane and wanted to kill each other in camp, he always had those those little things that he would do to, to kind of keep the keep the group together, you know. And I remember another one was when I uh, my last year we're playing Ole Miss, and uh, I don't even know if this is necessarily funny or not. But <laughs> we're uh, fourth quarter going down, and that end of that game was just a complete brawl between us and their defensive line. I mean, we just for whatever reason we just didn't like each other. Uh, any of us, we didn't like any of them. Um, and all of a sudden, I get a throw down on the ground and my finger gets twisted in his chest plate and just completely dislocates my finger. Mm. And so here I am just like, and I was extremely fortunate. I never really got hurt at all in college. Um, here I, I think I just snapped my finger in half and I'm just on the field just yelling. Ah! And all of a sudden just Dan Skipper, his freshman just looking at me, just cracking up and just like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> so that was the thing is offensive linemen typically have this, this, strange 
dark humor when it came to uh, <laughs> us going through pain, just because that's that's a big part of the job is is managing that pain and how you deal with it, kind of thing. So, uh, so no, there's there's a bunch of different ones, but it's uh, you're you're kind of making me go back in the archives here. Uh, thinking about things I haven't talked about in a while. <laughs> yeah, I know, and that's that's what's great about them is I know fans always appreciate kind of getting the uh, the stories that maybe they didn't see actually on the field, but some of the stuff that happened behind the scenes. So it's always great to hear stories like that, and it's pretty funny actually that you were in that much pain. I couldn't imagine how angry I would be if if I was in that much pain and someone was yelling at me or laughing at me for it. Like, I would not be yeah, a very happy guy. No, but that's it's one of those things you just got to be. You got to be in those O-line rooms to kind of understand the uh, the psychology of O-line and and what what we think is funny and what kind of drives us. And it's sometimes people can you know raise an eyebrow like, really, you you think that kind of stuff's funny? But it's like I said, it it kind of comes along with the job. You have to embrace those kind of things. And then of course after the fact in the locker room, I start you know I start laughing at it. And we both just had a good laugh about it. But during I was losing my mind thinking oh. I just snapped my finger in half, but. That's what that's what the job has. Well, I, we appreciate you coming on with us, Travis. We're up against it, man. Have a great one, and uh, hopefully we're able to catch up with you later on the road, my man. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Well, appreciate everybody listening into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Google Play. You can also get after me on Twitter at BuzzJohnNeighbors for any questions, comments, concerns that you may have. We'll keep it going from there. Same podcast time, same podcast channel tomorrow afternoon. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you then. Locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast.